Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. Uh, if you're visiting for the first time, we'd like to extend an extra warm welcome to you. Um, we have set a record for bad weather this past July, so if you're visiting in August, you should thank the Lord for that. Um, as we turn to God's Word, things will hopefully get, and I know they will, get warmer. I want to share today a little about the authority of God's Word. When Steve asked me to speak, I had several topics that were on my mind. However, the subject of biblical truth has kept coming back to me. Over the past years, biblical truth has been the major focus of my life. I have been seeking truth for truth's sake and not for simply tradition's sake. I wanted to see what God had to say to me personally. Pilate asked Jesus at his trial, what is truth? So today here in St. John's, what is truth? Pilate asked, uh, sadly, we live in a time when the Bible is mocked, ridiculed, as a joke. Billy Graham said, we live in an age where we are afraid of offending everyone but God. So are you more afraid of offending man or God? If you have a Bible with you, please turn with me to John chapter 1, verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. We go down to verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace in truth. Notice that this is the first time that John tells us that the Word and Jesus are to be taken as the same. These four verses of John's Gospel give us, a give us the background information we need to understand our Bible. Even before the world was created, Jesus was with the Father. John uses similar language in John's Gospel as is used in Genesis chapter 1. He uses words like life, light, and darkness. In doing so, he is making the point of how important this Jesus person really is. John summarizes how the Word, which was with God in the beginning, came into our history. John describes the introduction of Jesus as the eternal Word, which was with God in the very beginning. Some have described these first four verses of John's Gospel as a portrait of Christ. One writer said, the authority of Scripture is so rooted in and so closely linked to the authority of Jesus Christ that the two are indivisible. To attempt to distinguish them is like asking when a blade, which blade of a pair of scissors is more important or which leg of a pair of pants is more necessary. We know Christ through the Bible and we understand the Bible through the knowledge of Christ and the Spirit he sent. 
we come down to John chapter 1, verse 17, it says, The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law strictly stands for the first five books of the Old Testament. Moses was the author of these books. We have an Old and a New Testament in our Bible. As I said, the Old Testament contains the law which God gave through Moses. In order to understand, in order to remain in good standing with God, laws had to be kept. Animal sacrifices had to be made for the atonement of sin. Our New Testament contains grace and truth, which was revealed in Jesus. John is contrasting the old and the new. Moses received the law from God, which is old. Grace and truth, what we'll keep seeing come through here, came through Jesus, the new. He also wants us to know that grace and truth originated with Jesus in the beginning. My first question to you today was, are you more afraid of offending man or God? My second question is, what do you think of Jesus? Who is he? James Boyce put it this way, according to Christianity, this is the most important question you or anyone else will ever have to face. It is important because it is inescapable. You will have to answer it sooner or later, in this world or in the world to come. And because, uh, and because the quality of your life here and your eternal destiny depend on your answer, who is Jesus Christ? If he is only a man, then you can safely forget him. If he is God, as he claimed to be, and as all Christians believe, then you should yield your life to him. You should worship and serve him faithfully. So today, what do you think of Jesus? Who is he? Is he just an historical figure? Or do you know him personally? I was sharing with an artist friend uh, who came into my shop to buy some materials about what God was doing in my life. Attending seminary has often given me an opening to share the gospel with people now as they come into gallery and they say, what's new? I say, well, this is new. And I get a chance to share with them the gospel and what God is doing. And I was telling of how great this relationship was with Jesus and how powerful it was and how life transforming it is. And he responded by saying that he thought God was the ultimate absent father. He wanted to know why God didn't speak to him. I did the only thing that I could do. I pointed him to the Bible, the written word of God. God can speak today through his word just as powerfully today as in any time in history and probably more so. God's word still has the power to change lives. However, even Christians can stunt their own spiritual growth by not being open to understanding the truth that God wants to reveal to them. I was raised from a child into a system that taught us that our doctrine was perfect in principle. I was also never really asked or encouraged to ask questions. However, I learned over time and as I got older that God's not gonna fall apart because I have questions. 
It is, not, it is okay, it's completely okay to not understand something in the Bible. But it's not okay to understand something in the Bible and walk away from it and turn a blind eye to it. So what role does the Bible play in seeking truth? Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So any quest for truth will begin and end with Jesus. Anything that we find outside of him is false. Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If we read our Bibles, we will find that God's word has the ultimate authority in our lives. First Thessalonians 2, verse 13 and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you. Over the last two years in seminary, I've found that there are two major views among Christians. There's two major groups. The first group, group of Christians believe that God's word still has the ultimate authority in our lives. They still hold true to the standard that scripture alone, in the end, God's word sets the standard for our life. But I found a second group, those that believe God's word is only a list of suggestions that we may, that we may find that is applicable and we may find that it's not applicable. I'd like to think I'm in the first group, those that believe that scripture alone, because I believe God's word is perfect, sets the standard for our lives. I've also found that this second group of believers, they tend to have a lot of interpretive options when it comes to the Bible. I have found this among all denominations. Some can make the Bible say whatever they want it to. I believe that the Bible is reliable. We have to approach our Bible with humility and with confidence that if we use proper interpretive methods, we will arrive at the right interpretation. Remember, we bring a lot of biases with us when we try to understand and interpret our Bible. This is one thing that I've always have to remind myself. The system that I was raised in, the perfect one, the one that had everything right, that's always in the back of my mind whenever I'm reading my Bible because I want to make sure that I don't let that bias, that, that learning that I received from a child all the way up through my teens, to affect what God might be really saying to me. And I view the Bible much differently. Sometimes family influences can really push us in certain directions and how we interpret and how we see the Bible. Family, I guess it's the easiest to get angry with your family. And I've, and I've seen it my own, uh, my own self over time that family and uh, flesh and blood can sometimes want us to see things a certain way. But what I want to say today is, and encourage us each as Christians, as believers, is when we want to see something from God's word, don't rely too heavily on, I guess, read books, get opinions, but really get into the word of God. Really soak yourself in scripture so that God can speak to you through his word. And he can, and, I, and he does it all the time. And sometimes... Various interpretations when we read our Bible don't make us feel very good. Sometimes I read my Bible and I'm reminded 
of an illustration that was given here. One of the first Sundays, I believe I was here at Calvary, close to a year ago, our brother Derek Butler used an illustration when he was preaching that sometimes we have to put our hand over our heart and not over our eyes when we read our Bible. And I've often thought of that uh, many times since because sometimes I'm reading and, you know, it doesn't make me feel very good and there's things in there that, you know, really go against the grain of who I am, but I always have to remember that God's right and I'm wrong. I might disagree with him, but I've never had an argument where he, where I was, where he was wrong and I was right. So what we always have to do, no matter how it makes us feel, we have to soak ourselves in Scripture and allow God's work to speak to us. The fourth bias that is probably the most powerful is sin. Sin in the life of a believer. It can totally blind us to what God wants us to say. It gets us disconnected from the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like a laptop that doesn't get plugged in. We have to spend time in God's Word because if we don't, we drain the battery, and when we go to our Bibles, we can really get ourselves off the rails, so to speak. We really have to really plug ourselves into Scripture, really dig into it. And I'm going to get a little more, more into that as we go on. As we read our Bible, sometimes the Bible can be literal. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again. I personally think, and I believe most Christians would agree, that this is a literal verse. We believe that Jesus has gone home. He died, was buried, was resurrected, and went home to heaven. But Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 3, I'm going, but I'm coming back. So that's a literal verse. Most Christians today would believe that is literal. In John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. Well, Jesus didn't literally mean he was a door. It was figurative. It was figurative speech. And this is very basic stuff for a lot of people, but sometimes I feel it's important to go back to the basics so that we understand some basic truth from Scripture. Jesus said, I am the door. If any man enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is trying to make the point that only through him will you find salvation. It's only through him you will find life. So, caution has to be taken to study the Bible with humility. I have learned, especially over the last year, especially in seminary, that I cannot be dogmatic about how I currently understand certain texts. I must keep an open mind, and if something comes to my attention that I need to revisit, then I have to go back and look at it. So, how can we be sure we read a passage correctly? There are three basic steps to better understanding the Bible that I have learned from a professor at Dallas Seminary, not the seminary I am currently attending, but his last name was Zuck, I can't remember his first name. He gave three basic points that every Christian should use when they read their Bible. The first thing we need to do is observe. What does the text say. Just read it. Number two, interpretation. What does it mean? This is the most difficult part, and this is where most people get it wrong, including myself sometimes. And thirdly, application. 
How does this text apply to me? Many people jump from the observation step one to application step three. They skip the essential, the essential step, which is interpretation. As I have said, we need to be humble and not jump to conclusions about a text. This does not mean that we cannot be confident in our understanding of the Bible. This does not mean that we feel defeated and, and just admit that we could never understand what the Bible says. Because I believe we can truly understand if we follow the right interpretive options, we can arrive at a clear understanding of scripture. Second Peter chapter three, verse 16, Peter writes, these are something, he was writing about Paul's letters. And if anyone's ever read your Bible, some of Paul's letters can be hard to understand. And as Peter is writing about Paul, he says, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do with other scriptures. As I said, sometimes our Bible, sometimes, and especially Paul's letters, are hard to understand. But this does not mean that we cannot know the truth. God certainly does and intends us to understand what he is communicating from the Bible. What we, what we will find is safety and joy when we study God's word. A relationship only gets better when we know about more about the other person, right? And that's the way it is with God's word. The more we learn about Jesus, and the only way we're going to know more about Jesus is to study God's word. The more we know about him, the better, the stronger our relation, relationship comes. The opposite is also true. Those who do not seek the truth. And like Peter said, they do so with their own destruction. According to Spurgeon, he said, a Bible which is falling apart usually belongs to somebody who isn't. The key to victory is, it is written. Let's continue to the main part of my sermon today, and let's look at the Old Testament. God had gloriously led his people out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. Let's look together at Exodus chapter 19 and see what happens when the people of God stray from his word. Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. On the, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel camped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be with me and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They obeyed God's voice. And Moses reported the people of the, 
And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. In verse 3, we notice that Moses leaves the people. He went up to God in verse 3. Moses receives the word from God and tells the people. And they are all in agreement and say amen to what God has said. In chapter 20, the Ten Commandments are given. We should notice that God did not go through Moses when the commandments were given. In verse 1, and God spoke all these words saying, You should have no other gods before me. The people were so afraid when they heard God's voice, they turned to Moses and they said, From now on, you speak to us. We do not want to hear directly from God from now on, Moses. We only want to hear through you. In verses 20 and 21, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, and in order that the fear of him may remain with you, so that, when you, may, so that you may not sin. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. In chapters 21 and 31, the law is given to Moses. The entire law, there's 10 chapters of law being given to Moses. Remember the old, Jesus is the new. In chapter 32, Moses delayed in returning from receiving the law from God. And Israel doubts God's presence. A people that who had been gloriously rescued, gone through the Red Sea, had all these wonderful things happen, and Moses is simply delayed in returning to them, and they doubted God's word. The people faced hardship, and they were scared. Instead of trusting God, they doubted God and his word that the Lord had given them, and they inevitably failed. What they do next is unthinkable. Only a short while ago, they had heard God's word. They had heard the God of heaven speak. However, when the time of testing came, they turn from God's word. The people make a golden calf in verse 4. You see, everybody here today worships something. If it's not God, it's something else. As Christians, we need a constant diet of God's word to keep us fed. We need a constant diet of God's word to keep us from failing like the Israelites did. The only one person has said the only way to keep a broken vessel full is by keeping the faucet on. You see, you and I are broken vessels. We're just sinners. As our pastor said, we're just beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. I'm not up here today because I'm perfect or somehow arrived. I'm here because God has humbled me and broken me and made me realize that I am nothing without God. And without Jesus in my life, my life is worthless. The only way to keep a broken vessel full is by keeping the faucet on. We have to keep a steady diet of God's word. If you turn from God, you will worship other gods. As I said, we all worship something. 
Something will fill your life if it is not God's word. Whether it's money or pleasure, relationships, the world, or even your children. You see, even our children cannot be the first priority in our lives. God must be first, and everything else will fall in line. I'm not saying neglect your children, but our first priority is to God. And if we go through the Bible, that is reiterated and, and told to us over and over. Seek ye first, first, the kingdom of God. That is our responsibility, and it is a great privilege because we're only sinners saved by grace. Chapter 32, verse 7, the Lord tells Moses to go down. The people have corrupted themselves. Instead of running to God when they felt uncomfortable, they ran back to sin and idol worship. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 says, But like the Holy One who called you, be ye holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Now let me clarify something. This doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. This doesn't mean that we're not going to make a lot of mistakes. Because we will, as Christians. But the point is, we might have to keep driving forward to seek truth and to understand what God is saying to us from his word. You see, sanctification occurs when we run to Jesus and we confess our frailty rather than to our former sin. Sanctification is not the removal of our frailty, just beggars. Without it, we would cease to run to Jesus. We will never get to a point in our Christian walk, where sin is not tempting. However, when we learn, when we learn this, and a lot of us have learned it the hard way, I especially can say I've learned this the hard way, the really hard way. When I learn to run to Jesus instead of back to my sin, sanctification does occur. And God is calling us and setting us apart to be more like Jesus, the one that was from the beginning. Matt Chandler used the illustration in one of our life groups, life groups that him and his wife had bought a brand new house and they had moved in, but every time on the way from church they would stop at an intersection and he always, by nature, his natural instinct was to go left. That's where he always wanted to go. That's, and that's our default, right? Default for, for humans, sin. What's foreign? is going right to the new house where God is, where, so, where, where we can enjoy fellowship with God. And his point was that when we're tempted to go back to the old house, we always have to remember who saved us, and then we have to go right to Jesus. The Lord said in verse 10 now, the Lord says to Moses, let me alone and let my wrath burn hot against them. And this is important. Moses says, remember your word, God. Remember Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. 
Moses goes to God with God's own word. Isn't that amazing? You see, Moses stayed with God, not his own interpretation. Because he does not stray from God's word, things with the nation of Israel start to correct themselves. This was as much a, mess, a test for Moses as it was for the people. Moses saw the test for the people was coming in verse 20. He said, the Lord has come to test you. Don't worry, don't be afraid. He didn't realize God would be testing him as well. God also tests us today. Will we be faithful as followers of Christ when trials come? When we doubt the presence of God, will we doubt the word of God? When Christians around you are turning from God's word in favor of interpretive options, will we stand firm in his word? It is not just the elders and leaders of this church responsibility to seek truth. We will all give an account for our lives before God. Paul writes in Romans 14, verse 12, So then each of us, every Christian, bought by the blood of Christ, will give an account of himself to God. We won't be able to say, well, my pastor taught me it. My elders got me together and they explained it to me. We each will be responsible. And I say that lovingly and caringly. I want to encourage us to get into God's word because that's where truth, that's where safety, that's where joy. Even as Christians, we can become so benign and read our daily bread and put it away for the day and read the calendar over the toilet and we move on and we think that's Christianity, but it's not. God has designed so much more for us. And it's not just for elders and deacons. It's for everybody. God wants us all to, pour, to swim in Scripture, to be soaked in it. And that's where we will find joy. When we just play the game, when we just do what we do and because other people will not see us or when people see us at Swiss Chalet and we'll give grace because we're professing Christians, that's not it. That's not it at all. God has designed so much more. That's why Jesus died. Not only that you could be saved, your soul for eternity, but that your life, our lives every day can be filled with so much joy, with fellowship in Jesus. In verse 30, Moses reminds the people how close they came to destruction. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Now Moses starts to get off track. Moses tries to make atonement for the people's sin. And he said to the Lord, Alas, this people have committed a great sin. And they have made a God of gold for themselves. But now if you will forgive their sin... And if not, please blot me out of the book which you have written. But you see, Moses couldn't forgive the people's sins. And it just reminds me of the words of Moses and how flawed he was even as a leader. There was only one that could forgive sin, and that's Jesus. In Luke chapter 7, a sinful woman anoints the feet of Jesus with perfume. 
As tears rolled down her face and dropped on Jesus' feet, he lifts up her head and he says these words to her, your sins are forgiven. You see, Moses, what Moses couldn't do, Jesus can do. That's the Lord, that's the verse the Lord used to save me. A preacher was reading that verse, and when it got to that section, when he got to that verse, your sins are forgiven. I trusted Christ. I trusted the eternal living God, Savior of the world. He spoke, my sins forgiven. God's word is quick and powerful. It's living, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, Paul writes that. And friends, today, if you want to find Jesus, you will find him in the Bible. Everything written in the Old Testament is looking forward to Jesus. Everything written in the New Testament is a fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus is the beautiful thread that runs through our entire Bible. Jesus is everything. Jesus is the Word of God. My responsibility today has been to proclaim what God has to say. And in preparing for this sermon, I've tried to back up every point with a verse from the Bible. Because let's face it, it doesn't matter what I say. I'm just a mouthpiece here today. It's what God has to say that counts. And I trust today that you will hear the voice of God. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. When Israel heard God's word, they turned from it and chose a lifeless idol. God wants so much more for that than that for you. He wants a real living relationship that will provide more joy than you have ever known. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the best news this world has ever heard. We no longer have to keep laws and rituals to gain favor with God. As the song goes, and it's one of my favorites, Jesus paid it all. Now, all to him I owe. So Christians, do we see why we must conform to the word of God? The word of God and Christ are inseparable. They're together. They're one. Jesus is the word. If we deny any part of the Bible, it's like denying Jesus. So we have to carefully study God's word and understand that we are responsible and will be responsible to God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing, rightly handling the word of truth. One, one writer explains the meaning of this verse like this. The Apostle Paul, as many of us know, was a tent maker. In those days, when Paul wrote this verse to Timothy, tents were made from animal skins. They were sewn together in a patchwork design. Paul is saying, if you do not cut the pieces right, the tent will not fit together properly. 
We need to observe what the Bible says, interpret its meaning, and apply it to our lives. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and follow me. Do you know Jesus? Do you know what it is to have a real living relationship with him? Jesus died on the cross to secure a relationship with you. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he, that is Christ, might bring us to God. Have you heard his call in the past and turned away? So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Shall we pray? Our Father, I thank you for your Son. I thank you, Lord, that he took my place on the cross. I thank you, Father, that you have revealed to me the wonderful truth that Jesus died for me. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here at Calvary Baptist. I thank you, Lord, for their support. I thank you for our lead elder and pastor, Stephen, who has been a great encouragement to me and helped me along so much in the last six months. But Lord, today, your word has been spoken. I pray, Lord, that they have heard a far better sermon that was pre than was preached. I pray, Lord, that your word, which is living, which is alive, which is quick, which is powerful, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, I pray, Lord, today that it will cut to, some, to the very core of someone's heart and that they would leave the sin of this world and everything that is around them and to follow you and to trust you and to give their life to you. So, Father, now as we sing our last song and we seek to praise you, Lord, and to give you the glory for what you have done, we pray, Lord, that you will, that you will accept our offering and that you would be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen.